Welcome to the Bringing Her Hope podcast. I'm Bethany Bravery, and I'm thrilled that you are here. Each week, I invite a girlfriend on the podcast to share not only the story that God is writing for her, but the story that God is redeeming in her life. I cannot wait for you to meet each and every one of these amazing women who I know will inspire you to also live out the story that God is calling you to and to give you hope that He will be faithful to redeem your story as well. Our guest for today's episode is Kelsey Wallen. Kelsey is a lover of Jesus, a crazy in love wife, and a mama to three little ladies. Kelsey has struggled in the past with not knowing who her identity was and often believed that her identity was defined by the labels she created for herself or that others gave her. Kelsey is now stepping bravely into the identity that God has defined for her. Cannot wait for you to meet Miss Kelsey Wallen. Hey friends, just wanted to let you know that before I jump into my powerful interview with Kelsey Wallen, that this episode does have some strong language in it. So please use your discretion as to who is listening with you. Why don't you share a little bit about you uh, to our listeners so they can get to know you? Sure. Um, So I am married to my wonderful husband. Um, We've been married uh, seven and a half years, I think, something like that. Um, He probably knows that better than I do, to be honest. (laughs) But um, we uh, have three little girls, Naomi's six. Uh, Zoe is four and Quinley is three and we just about a year ago moved um, from Oregon to Texas so we live in a small town in Texas um, just outside of Fort Worth now and yeah we're figuring out life here in Texas it's a little different than Oregon um, but it's just been absolutely amazing Um, I stay home primarily with my girls and just in the last few months God's really opened up a bunch of doors for me to be able to share my story and my journey um, with other women and and have even had an opportunity to speak um, and teach on some different lessons that God's been teaching me um, throughout my life, and especially um, here recently. So it's just been absolutely amazing to connect with other women, and that's um, truly a passion of mine is, is sitting down with other ladies and getting to know them, getting to know their story, and seeing how my story can help theirs. That's awesome. And fun fact for you guys, Kelsey and I have not met in person when she lived in Oregon. Um, But what's hilarious to me is that you now live, if y'all still do, you live in Granbury, Texas, which is where Mm -hmm. I lived when I was in Texas for a couple of years. So I just think that that is super small world. No way. I didn't realize that. You were here. Yeah, I was there for about two and a half years. So I was a house parent at a a place called Happy Hill Farm. It's not called that anymore, but it was for at-risk youth. Yeah, so I don't know if you've heard of that. So anyways, I thought that was such a small world. Yes, we have friends that um, their kids go there. Um, And actually, she was just telling me about that because we're in uh, the final stages of getting our foster certification uh, back up and going here in Texas. We were foster parents in Oregon for for, uh, just over four years. And um, so anyways, yeah, we're getting going again here in Texas. And our friend was like, hey, have you heard about what they do out at Happy Hill? Uh And um, anyway, so that's funny. That's I didn't realize that. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, Kelsey, I know that you have struggled in the past with not knowing who your identity was and often believed Mm -hmm. um, the identity was defined by labels. So please take the listeners on on your journey and kind of what you walk through and what God's shown you and how he's redeemed your story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So just to back all the way up to kind of give a little bit of um, context and so um, all of you guys can kind of get to know me a little bit more and, and where I come from. So I was born and raised, um, like I said, in Oregon, and uh, my family is amazing. My parents 
um, were married all throughout our childhood. They're still married to this day, which was a huge deal. I know back when I was a kid growing up, um, I just felt like all my friends' parents were, were divorcing, but um, mine were together, and it was amazing. And we had a great home life. Um, we Family would go to church every Sunday. That was just part of what we did. Um, it was, um, yeah, just a wonderful childhood and, and growing up you know, being involved in the church and that sort of a thing. Um, looking back, I can, I can tell that um, part of where my story kind of uh, got off track was coming to this realization that I didn't know who God was. It wasn't a personal relationship that I had with God, with Jesus, anything like that. It was just that we'd go to church because that's what you do. Um, so anyways, uh, my mom and I were very, very close growing up, and we had a situation with our family where um, when I was in high school, my mom ended up having to take a job in um, a school. She worked for the school district uh, my whole childhood, so she had to take a uh, job in a school district that was about three and a half hours away from where we were living at the time. And with me being in high school, my brother it was is four years younger than me, and he was in middle school. Um, my parents really didn't want to pull us away from our uh, our schools and our community and all that sort of a thing. So we basically worked it out where my mom would go over to Central Oregon and work there during the week, and then she'd come home on the weekends. My dad and me and my brother, my sister was away at college at this point, but we would we'd be home. Um, so this was just simply what we had to do um, so that my mom could could have a job and um, work in the profession that she had worked in her whole life. But it left such a void for me um, because my mom and I were super, super close. And all of a sudden we went from living under the same roof 24-7 to her being three and a half hours away five days a week. Mm. Um, And so it was a real... um, real point in my life where it was it was the first time I kind of had this void of my best friend um and and she wasn't there for that time so um and I was just struggling through you know kind of who I was I mean it's it's high school right like I feel like everybody struggles through that is you know trying to figure out where you're accepted where you belong um all that kind of a thing I was I was really involved in theater and had a great group of friends there um but they I knew that they were all moving on. They were all about a year to two years older than me. Um, so they were all moving on. So it was just kind of this, this time in my life where I was like, man, I don't, I don't know who I am. Like, I didn't have a strong relationship with Jesus. I didn't have, um, my mom was gone, you know, during the week. And I was so frustrated that she was gone that I made it a point to not be home on the weekends. (laughs) Like kind of that, you know, teenager Mm -hmm. mentality of, you know, I'll stick it to you kind of a thing. And, um, so, Anyways, all that to say, a boy ended up being able to fill that void for me. And he was a bad boy. He um, drove a loud car. He had long hair. He played hockey. Um, Nothing, to be honest, about him my parents really liked and really anybody else in my life. Um, He was just a bad boy and a bad deal, and it was perfect to me. Um, I was just at this broken place where it was like, man, I, I want that. Like he was giving me that attention that I was seeking and that I was wanting, that I was needing. And it upset my parents because he, they didn't approve of him. So it was perfect for me as a rebellious teenager. Um, so I jumped into this relationship with him and we, we jumped in hard. Like we went all out, uh, fell in love very quickly. Um, just kind of a whirlwind of, um, 
of high school love, I suppose. Um, and so this is when I started to kind of take on some of these pieces of my identity um, that now being able to look back weren't healthy pieces of my identity, weren't pieces of my identity that God had intended. Um, but I became kind of like the hockey team mom. And all the guys on the hockey team knew I'd be there every single game and that I was there to help them and support them, which is great. But um, when that starts to be your identity is when it starts to not be so great. Um, and so this boyfriend and I got physical very, very quickly. Um, and I lost my virginity at a really young age to him, which then just heaped more identity onto me of, I've got to perform exactly how he wants me to perform. I've got to do exactly what he wants me to do. And he was filling such a deep void in my life that, um, I almost felt like I, owed it to him. Mm-hmm. Um, like he had kind of rescued me in, when I was in this place of not knowing who I was. Um, so he and I, uh, dated for about four years. It was all throughout high, uh, well, my last two years of high school. Um, and then after high school for a bit as well. And, um, it just continued to drive wedges between me and my parents, between me and my friends, um, because he became all-encompassing, and, and that was the only relationship that I cared about and that I pursued. Um, so during that time, um, he started to become uh, pretty verbally abusive. It started kind of as emotional abuse as far as um, being in control of me and he knew that he was filling this void. He knew that I looked up to him and he was older than me. And, um, so he, he really started to kind of use that against me as far as making sure that, that he was always in control. I was always doing what he wanted. Um, and then it started to progress and it became that he was pretty verbally abusive and he would talk down to me and tell me how worthless I was. And, um, all these things that were, you know, they're opposite of what God says about us. But at the time, I didn't know what God said about me. And so I took what he'd say, and I was like, okay, I guess that is who I am. Like, you know, I guess I am a slut. I guess I am worthless. I guess I am, um, you know, just his girlfriend. Like, that that's all that I was. Um, so things then progressed, and um, over a couple of years, um Well, it was actually after I graduated high school, he and I moved in together and um, just continued our relationship. And um, at that point, then he started to become pretty physically abusive. And so he, um, you know, would would swap my hand. It started as, you know, he'd swap my hand away or I'd I'd go to reach for something and he'd hit it out of the way or, um, you know, he'd be upset with me. And and he was, he was very short tempered. Um, so especially after hockey games, especially after they lost, um, then I would get all the wrath and, uh, for whatever reason, it was my fault that they lost the game and it was my fault that he wasn't playing as best as he could. So I just, I just heaped all this on, like this was, I just carried this with me because this was, who I did everything with. He was my everything. And at this point I had a couple of the other hockey team girlfriends were friends with me. But beyond that, like I just didn't have anyone. I had driven such a wedge between me and my parents, such a wedge between me and my friends at school um, prior to, to graduating. Like I just, he was my everything. Um, so uh, when I finally kind of got to this point of like, man, I'm just unhealthy. Like he's, 
he's not fulfilling this void anymore that he had been so long. And part of that was because of the emotional and verbal abuse. And then as it started to get physical, um, you know, it was like, man, he's not able to fill this anymore. Um, so that's when I started to look around and say, okay, well, who can, who can fill this void? Um, so that's when I, I stepped outside of this relationship and started to pursue relationships other than him. And I ended up cheating on him with several different guys and ended up having a full fledged relationship with a different guy, um, all to try to fill this void that um, that I didn't know what to do with. And, being, you know, being able to look back now, you know, gosh, how many years later, um, you know, I can look back and I can say, like, God needed to fill that void. But as an 18, 19-year-old girl, I didn't know that God needed to fill that void. I didn't know a relationship with God. Um, so I just looked everywhere else. And so I ended up getting caught in... Um, one of the relationships I had outside of my relationship with the hockey player. And um, so I got caught cheating and um, had to kind of come face to face with this of like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? Like, what has my life turned into that I'm um, sneaking around? I'm, I have three different boyfriends right now. Like I'm juggling all of this craziness and, um, and then, you know, getting caught. And so I remember um, there was one day in particular that um, the hockey team was coming home from an away game, and um, I got a call from the team captain, and, um, you know, he basically tells me that he knows that I'm cheating and that I need to confront the issue, otherwise he's going to. Um, so I was like, okay. And so as soon as uh, my boyfriend came home, I, you know, sat down and told him, I was like, hey, like, I just need to tell you, like, I've been cheating on you, and... I don't know where to go from here. Like, I don't know what to do. And he just went ballistic. He, he flew off the handle. Um, you know, like I said, he, he really struggled with, with anger and rage. And so it was like um, all of that just kind of came rushing out. Um, and, and that night I remember he, he had just gotten home from the games. And so he got out his hockey stick and he started shooting hockey pucks at the wall. Um, and then he kept getting closer and closer and closer to me as, um, as he was shooting these hockey pucks and got to the point where I was just huddled on the ground, like shielding my head, mm. afraid that all of these pucks were going to be hitting me in the head. And praise Jesus, they never did. Um, but, you know, all the all the holes in the wall that I had to fill and um, my pride and, you know, everything had just been, had been crushed. And so, um, but what I did instead, you know, most people would say, well, walk away, like, get out, like, get out of that relationship. Like, that's so unhealthy. And at the time, that was the first time I saw that, hey, maybe this isn't a healthy relationship. Um, other people had told me that, but this was the first time I had seen it for myself. Um, but I was terrified because of how um, angry he was at that point and because I didn't know what life outside of life with him looked like. Like that to me was scarier than staying here, than shielding my head from hockey pucks. Like I could control that. Like I could, oftentimes I could kind of control his reaction. Um, I had gotten to the point where I knew what would frustrate him. I knew what would set him off. And so I'd either try to avoid those things um, or just pre be prepared when I knew that he was going to get angry and, and get abusive. And so um, to me, I could control this life that I was living. Mm -hmm. I couldn't control life without him because I didn't know what that looked like. Um, so 
you know, I, I share my story with ladies and they're like, why didn't you leave? And, I, you know, and it's the same thing. I feel like a lot of women that suffer from abuse get asked. It's like, just leave. It's easy. Like just simple, like just walk away. But I just want to say like, it's not, <laughs> it's not simple. It's not easy. And when you've been living this life, like at this point for me, it had been about three and a half years of living this life then that's all you know. And that's a short amount of time. I talked to women who put up with abuse for decades, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, you just, that's what you know. And so I just want to encourage people that like, if you know people that are in abusive relationships, just sit with them, like sit with them where they're at, meet them where they're at. Don't try to pull them up to your level. Sit with them, Mm -hmm. listen to them, encourage them, speak truth over them. Yes, absolutely. Tell them that they deserve better. Absolutely tell them, hey, this is abuse. This is not okay. Absolutely speak truth to them, but don't put more pressure on them to leave. They already have so much pressure on them from what their abuser is doing to them. They already feel like they're worth nothing. You don't need to keep any more guilt or any more expectations onto them. Just sit with them. Just sit with them. At some point, they'll be ready to leave. At some point, they'll say, okay, let's do this. And then run. (laughs) Like, meet them where they're at and run. Do absolutely everything you can in your power to get them safe, to get them healthy, to get them out of the situation they're in. But I just want to really encourage ladies, like, like, sit and listen and be there for these women that are in abusive situations without telling them, you got to leave. Like, we know that. Like, we know we know that we should leave. But it's just not that simple. Um, Great advice. So anyway, yeah, so back to, back to my story. So, um, you know, so all of this is going on, and all that I know to do is to beg for him to stay. Like, I was terrified he'd leave. Um, I didn't have it in me to leave him, um, and I was terrified he was going to leave me. And so I just begged him. I said, please, 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 like, what can I do? How can I fix this? Like, I, I'll, I'll stop the relationship with the other guy. I had only told him about one guy. Um, that was all that I had been caught in, and so that's all that I shared with him. So I was like, you know, I, I promise I won't see him anymore, like, all that kind of thing. And, you know, what do you need? Like, do you need to be checking my phone? Do you need to be tracking where I'm going? Like, whatever it is. And um, I, because I had no self-worth, like I didn't know that I was worth anything more than this. And, um, so anyways, so we continued on in our relationship and things just got worse, to be honest. Like it just, um, it put me even more into this mentality of he's over me and I must do everything that he asked me to do. Um, so we continued on in our uh, relationship for, for a little while after that. Um, I ended up getting pregnant um, just about a week or two after all of this had happened. And um, to be honest, I had no clue whose baby it was. Um, there was about three or four guys that it could potentially be, and I had no idea whose it was. Um, and so I didn't tell my boyfriend that I was pregnant. Um, I just dealt with it. I... Uh, was absolutely terrified. I was devastated when I peed on that stick and it was positive and it was everything opposite of what you hear. You know, it's like, oh, you find out you're pregnant. It's so exciting. It's so wonderful and all that. But it was like, it was just more confirmation for me that I didn't know what I was doing, that I didn't know where my future was going. And then now I'm going to bring this baby into it. Um, So I didn't tell a soul um, as I was dealing with 
um, you know, the early stages of pregnancy, of nausea, morning sickness, all that. Um, and then I ended up miscarrying that baby um, right about, uh, it was about six and a half, seven weeks. Um, and for the longest time, um, I felt bad because when I miscarried, I felt relief. Mm. Like, I grieved, don't get me wrong, I grieved that baby and I missed that baby so much. I used to sing to the baby when my boyfriend was out of town. It was like, I used to sing to the baby and just tell the baby how much I loved it. I, I always thought it was a girl, so I always talked to her. And um, so when I miscarried, like, yeah, I grieved. I was so sad. But to be honest, I was so relieved because I knew that where my life was at, I couldn't I couldn't bring a baby into that. And, um, and I was relieved because I never would have to face the wrath of my boyfriend of being pregnant and potentially not being his and all of that. Um, so I went through all of that. And then it was um, just shortly after that, um, I got invited to go out to a ranch. Um, it was about two hours, uh, about an hour and a half away from where I lived at the time. Um, and I got invited to come out and um, help serve with my parents' church's youth group. Um, so at the time, I was living quite the double life. I was living this life with my boyfriend and abuse and cheating and all of that stuff. Um, and then I was also helping with um, the youth group at my parents' church. Um, so I look back on that and I'm like, man, like, I wonder what would have happened if, you know, if they knew what, what was going on. Um, but I also look back and I think, man, Lord, like, you were watching over me even back then, like being tied in to the youth group and to these kids. It was like, it was that little glimmer of hope and that little glimmer of, Hey, maybe there's something more than this life that I'm living. Um, so anyways, we took our youth group out to this ranch and it was a ranch for, um, fatherless young men. Uh, I'm sorry, not father. Uh, it was for single moms and fatherless kids, um, and floundering adults. So basically anybody that was kind of struggling and they had a strong focus on single moms. Uh, while I wasn't a single mom, I had, I had miscarried and no one knew about that baby still at this point. Um, but I just felt such a connection there. And so after we went out with the youth group, I ended up continuing to go back out there. Uh, my cousin and I were pretty close at that point, And so she and I would go out and, and volunteer out there and um, really just started to get to know a bunch of the people that lived out there. Um, so we'd go out, I mean, my recollection is we'd go out every every weekend. Um, we'd be out there, I'd work during the week, and then we'd go out on the weekend. Um, and it was just an incredible place. Um, I didn't know God at that point, but I could feel him when I was out there. Mm. And it was such a peace and such a comfort to be there. Um, so when my life was chaotic, it was like my little retreat away, my little escape. Um so there were three guys that lived there. Um, I think they were called mentors at the time, but um, three guys that lived out there that were, you know, in their 20s, a little bit older than me. Um, and I really looked up as uh, big brothers. Like they just were guys that were seeking hard after Jesus and serving and taking care of, you know, everybody that lived out there. Um, and we just started to get really close with them. My cousin and I did. And um, these guys were the first, time that I can remember um, people other than, I mean, you know, my parents would, of course, speak truth and, and life into me when I would allow them to, um, but these guys, besides that, were the first guys that I remember 
like truly speaking truth into who I was. And it was just little comments, you know, just little things of like, man, you're awesome, you know, or, hey, you're really good at, you know, whatever. (laughs) We used to do dishes all the time. Um, The ranch had about, I think, like 60 people, 50 or 60 people that lived out there at the time. And so there were always dishes to be done. And so my cousin and I would always be doing dishes with the guys. And, you know, they'd be like, man, you're good at cleaning those dishes, you know, or whatever. (laughs) And like just silly little things. But it was all these little things that were depositing into this empty well that my my soul was at this point. And um, so I started to trust them and I started to listen to them and I started to eventually confide in them. And so I would start telling them little things about, you know, what my boyfriend at the time would do or things he'd say to me or, you know, the fact that, oh yeah, you know, sometimes he'll swap my hand away if I do something wrong or whatever. And so it was kind of like testing the water with them of like, what can I say um, you know, that you'll still accept me and still approve of me. Um, and these guys all have backgrounds of their own, which I think also helped me to open up to them. Um, they've, all three of them have had real rough lives up to this point and up to the point of believing in Jesus. And um, so I just felt comfortable with them that I, I could share my stuff and I wouldn't be judged. Um, so I remember there was one day in particular, it was um, in the summer and we had been out there all weekend and we were wrapping up dishes, um, and then we were, my cousin and I were going to be heading home to start the week, and I just shared everything with them. I told them, um, well, not quite everything. I didn't tell them about the miscarriage, but I told them about the abuse. I told them about um, what he'd do to me. I told them about him shooting hockey pucks at my head on a regular basis whenever he was pissed. And, you know, I just kind of opened up and told them everything. And they, the three of them looked at me and said, you are worth so much more than that. Like, that's not okay. That's, you are, you are worth so much more than that. And they truly cared for me. And for the first time, I actually believed them. Um, and looking back, I think it's because of, you know, prior to that conversation, all those little deposits that had been being made, all those things that were building me up, that were building that trust to then when I shared all of this and it was immediately met with, you're worth more than it. I could actually believe them. Um, so I ended up deciding at that point, I was like, okay, that's it. That's it. I got to I got to break this up. I got to be done with this. So went home and woke my boyfriend up. It was, I think like midnight or 1am, something like that. And, um, just told him I'm done. I'm going to leave. And when you're gone this weekend, I'll come pack my stuff up because we, you know, we lived in an apartment together. And so, um, I was like, I'll pack my stuff up while you're gone. And by the time you get back, I'll be gone. And that was it. I had a kitten. I grabbed my kitten and I walked out the door um, and that was it. So I ended up staying with my parents for a bit and then ended up staying at my parents' church. They had this other house that you could stay in. So I stayed there for a bit just to kind of figure out, okay, now what? Mm. Um, So I, at this point, um, just kind of was empty. Like, I had these little deposits that the guys at the ranch had been making into who I was. Um, I knew that I had ended this, this relationship of four years and now I was sitting in this, now what? Like, I, I don't know what to do. Um, so I kept working. I actually like dove even deeper into my work and ended up working 60, 75 hours a week. Um, I was a corporate trainer and so it was easy to just kind of, put my blinders on and, and get my, my work done. And that became my life. Um, cause I felt so empty. 
Um, and then eventually I got bored with that. And so I was like, you know, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to find a boyfriend like that. Just, that sounds fun. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have anything else to do. And, um, so for about a year, I just kind of, you know, hung out with different guys, got to know different guys. Um, and truly this, um, that year looking back on it, um, was really when this sexual addiction started to form inside of me. Um, the, in my previous relationship, um, with the, with the abusive, um, hockey player boyfriend, um, he had also used, um, just sex and sexual things to, um, really have control over me. And so I didn't know what a healthy sex life looked like at that point. Um, and so for that year, um, I just kind of was like, sweet, like this is awesome. And it started to be everything I thought about. And so, um, that progressed until, um, you know, so that, that went on for about nine months where I just kind of was, um, with anyone and everyone that I could be. And then finally ended up was like, you know, I, I kind of want to settle down and just have one boyfriend. Um, so I went online and signed up for some online dating thing. Um, and I think it was like my first date, maybe it was my second like match or whatever. Um, we met up and he was amazing. Like he was the answer to, um, the prayer that I didn't know I had been praying. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I didn't have a relationship with God at that point. Like I had stopped volunteering with the youth group and had just been on my own doing my own thing. Um, but in my mind, like there had to be a God and he clearly answered my prayer with this guy because he didn't try to sleep with me on our first date. Like that's where my standards were. Um, they were so low that it was like, man, you know, then that means he's the one, like I got to be with him. So we, once again, dove in full force. He moved in with me, um, and it was just this whirlwind of a relationship. Um, but he was so good to me. He was so kind. He was compassionate. He was caring. He was funny. He was good-looking. Like, he was all these things that I wanted and was so different um, than my previous relationship of four years. It was like it was just a polar opposite Um so we, uh, yeah, like I said, we, we moved quickly. He moved in, um, after about three and a half, four months of dating, um, I peed on another stick and found out I was pregnant. And this time it was all the feelings that you're, you know, quote unquote supposed to have, or that you expect to have. I was excited. Um, you know, this relationship with this guy was so great and he would be an awesome dad. And so it was like, the polar opposite of my first baby. Um, and so I was just, I was just beside myself, so excited. And so he came home the next day from work and I told him I was pregnant and he was so excited. And it was kind of this like, yeah, we're doing this. Like, we're going to, we're going to do this. Like, we're going to become parents and who knows, like, maybe we'll get married. Like, you know, we're, we're in this, we're doing this. Um, so it was about a, a few weeks after that, um, that he came home one day from work and, um, he just had a totally different look on his face. It wasn't one that I had seen from him before. Um, I had seen it, uh, in my previous relationships, but not with him. And it was this look of looking through me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that, you know, it was like, he didn't see me there. He was talking to me, but he didn't see me. He was just looking straight through me. And he just said, well, uh, we're done. Um, I have been cheating on you our entire relationship. Um, actually my previous girlfriend and I, we never actually broke up. And so we've just, you know, still been together and then you've just kind of been on the side. 
Um, and so I'm going to go be with her. She just found out she's pregnant as well. And I'm going to choose her and choose a life with her. And I was devastated. I mean, it was all of these hopes and dreams that I had formed were all of a sudden gone. Like it was a split second. I had no clue prior to this. I, you know, yeah, okay. He'd go check on the dogs that they had together. Yeah. He'd, you know, go over to the house or whatever. Um, they owned a house together and I, I always felt that that was kind of weird, but I was like, well, whatever you guys can do, whatever, you know, and, um, we'll come to find out it was their time to be together. And, um, so I, I just, I was blindsided. I had no idea. I had, um, no clue that he'd been cheating on me. And so he just picks up his stuff and says, okay, I'm out. And he walked out and that was it. And so I immediately panic and, and just devastated because I don't, I don't know what to do now. Um, you know, he had been filling this void that I had that previous relationships had filled that, um, the hockey player had filled, you know, it was like, and then all of a sudden now he was gone too. And so I was left with this void again. Um, and, so over the next few days, I pled with him. I begged him to come back. Um, I kept saying, you know, I cheated on my boyfriend previously, so this is just what I deserved. Like, I get it. Like, I get that you cheated on me. It's okay. Like, just come back. We'll make it work. It's fine. Um, and, you know, it was, I, I, still, I still had no self-worth. It was like I was, I was just so down and out that it was like grasping at straws. Like, no, just come back. It's okay. Like, Never once did I think, oh, hey, you know, he cheated on me. Like, maybe this would be a good time to part ways, you know, and heal on my own and that sort of a thing. But um, so I just begged him to come back and begged him to come back. And um, he just kept saying no, no, no. Um, so one night in particular, I was just struggling with it all. And so I just went for a drive. And that was kind of my escape from my getaway was to go for a drive. I loved my car. Um, I loved that I felt in control. I loved that I felt important. It was a very nice car that I had bought with my own money. And so it helped me to feel like I was on top of the world, Mm -hmm. which I was feeling none of that at this point. And so I just went for a drive and I was just out taking the hills way too fast, taking the turns way too fast. Um, and just trying to escape from this reality of my life. It was like, I had finally dreamed again. I had finally gotten hope in, in what the future was after all of the crap that I'd been through. And then all of a sudden it was gone. And so it was like, man, if I could just drive fast enough to get away from this, like maybe, maybe that'll do it. And, um, you know, I just had adrenaline just pumping and all that. And and then all of a sudden I felt a gush Hmm. and I knew instantly what it was. And so I drove home as fast as I could. And I just caught in the bathtub and bled Hmm. and bled and bled and lost my baby. And, um, it was, it was so hard because it was like, this had been the opposite of the last pregnancy. Like the last pregnancy, I had felt relief when I miscarried this one, you know, it was, I was just devastated again because out of everything I had just lost, I still had this baby and I was still excited for this baby. And I, I was just all of a sudden now that was gone. And, um, so I just, wept. It was just awful. Um, I ended up telling, um, the, the dad, my ex-boyfriend at that point, um, I said, Hey, 
just want to let you know I miscarried. Um, you know, so now you're off the hook. Like now you can just go be a dad with, with the woman that you're with now and, or with her baby. And, um, you know, you don't have to deal with me anymore. And he continued to text with me a bit and to call and that sort of a thing to just kind of try to comfort me at that point. Um, and then his, uh, girlfriend, um, the, the mom of the baby that, you know, he was going to be having, um, she ended up taking over and, and I remember I got this text and granted this was forever ago. Um, but I still remember word for word. She said, you are a homewrecker. You are worthless and you are an absolute cunt and I hate you go away. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I put all of those things she said about me onto me. It was Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, these were my labels. I was a homewrecker. I was a cunt, which that word still to this day, oh, it sends chills down my spine because it's, because it's the grossest, worst thing ever. And it's like all of a sudden, all of these things were placed on me and I started to live out that identity and I started to believe that identity. And, um, I was just at the lowest low of my life and didn't know who I was. And so now I was these things and I started to reflect back and I'm like, I am a cheater. I am a slut. I am all of these things that the previous boyfriend had, had said about me. Um, so I started to put all these labels on me. Um, I started to wear those around and, um, of course nobody else can read those labels or nobody else can know what those labels say, but that's how I started to live life. Um, so after my miscarriage was, was over and things with the ex-boyfriend were totally over, um, my uh, cousin that had been volunteering with me out at the ranch came over and said, okay, we're going out to the ranch. Like, this is it. Like, we're just, we're going to go out there. Um, this is where you feel peace. This is where you feel comfort. Like, that's what you need right now. So let's go. So we went and we spent about a week out there. And during that week was the first time that I feel like God spoke to me audibly. And at the time I had no clue it was God. Um, at the time I was like, what the heck was that? That was really weird. But um, I was out on a walk in the woods and felt like God said to me, um, you need to be here. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. Um, and that's a weird thought. And like, <laughs> what in the world? Um, and so I came back from my walk and came to the lodge and the owner of the ranch sat down and talked to me. And it was the first time that he and I talked and he looked me straight in the eye and he goes, you don't really have it all together, do you? Mm. And I just lost it. I just started bawling. Like here I was, I climbed the corporate ladder at the job I was at. I was four steps away from the CEO. I was making way more money than any 19, 20 year old should make. I was driving way nicer of a car than anyone that age should drive. Um, I had the perfect apartment, you know, throwing all the parties, all that kind of thing. And on the outside, it looked like my life was all together. Um, but he just knew, he's like, you don't really have it all together, do you? And so we talked for a while and I just said, man, like I was just out on this block and I feel like, I don't, I don't know what it was, but like, I just had this thought of, I need to be here. And, um, so Scott, the owner of the ranch, he goes, that's God talking to you. (laughs) I was like, yeah, right. Like whatever, you know, I, I, like I said, I didn't have a relationship with God at this point. And, um, anyway, so we moved forward in that and I said, okay, 
all right, I quit my job. I sold everything I owned. Um, I tried to sell the car. I um, just kind of cleared everything out and moved out to the ranch. And I lived out at the ranch for about two years in full-time ministry and really just hit the reset button on my life. Mm -hmm. And that's where I came face-to-face with these labels that I've been wearing. Um, I came to know Jesus pretty quickly after I had moved out there, um, gave my life to Him, and all of a sudden it was like, all right, now we got work to do. (laughs) Like, now we need to work on this. And so um, that's really when I started to take a look at these different labels that I was wearing around. And... um, you know, like I mentioned before, like nobody else could see these labels unless I told them what the labels read. Um, it's like those "Hello, my name is" stickers. You know, those they're typically red, but yep. um, you wear them at like you know, like all the women's conferences, all the everything. It's like "Hello, my name is." I contend that we all wear those around, but instead of having our name, we have different labels. Mm. Um, so those labels may be, you know, kind of standard ones like wife, mom, daughter, teacher, businesswoman, um, stay-at-home mom. Um, you know, dog mom, friend, you know, whatever it may be like, you know, they're just kind of generic ones. Um, but what I learned was that I had these other labels that were deeper. Um, you know, like I mentioned, I was wearing around slut or cheater or ugly or workaholic or sex addict or worthless. And to be honest, I was wearing cunt around like um, front and center. Like that was the one that for whatever reason, I think because it hurt me the, the most, um, but that's the one I wore around so that I felt like everybody could see it. Um, so I, I started to dig into these, and this is what I really want to encourage other ladies to do too, is really think about what these labels are that you're wearing. Um, write them down, like write down these different pieces of your identity that you think you are, whether they're positive, whether they're negative, whatever they are, like write them all down. Um, I actually just taught a class on this last week and I brought those, hello, my name is stickers. (laughs) And I was like, okay, ladies, write them out. And I mean, ladies were just filling these um, stickers up with with labels that they've been carrying around. And some of them were labels they've worn for 40 years Mm. and they hadn't dealt with them. And, and awful ones, things that God doesn't say about us. And, um, so anyway, so, so write them all down, um, write down all these labels. I, at the, at the time in, in my life, I didn't have this idea of, you know, the hello, my name is stickers. And so I just wrote them in my journal. I just wrote down everything I thought about myself. Um, and then Check God's Word. So take that label and look it up in Scripture. So this is what I did. So I took slut, right? So I believed I was a slut. I took that and I looked in Scripture. I said, okay, (laughs) and we all know the answer, but does God ever call me a slut? No, absolutely not. Of course He doesn't. Okay, so the next one, cheater. Like, is that in Scripture anywhere? No, absolutely not. Um, so go through the list and any of the ones that are not found in scripture, leave off of yourself. Proudly wear the ones that you are proudly wear the ones that scripture does say you are, you know, I am a mom. I am a wife. I will rightfully wear those. Um, but what I started to notice was when I was checking scripture. So one of the ones I wrote was I am ugly. I firmly believed that I was, I was just ugly, um, because of my past, because of my wounds, all of that. But you know what scripture says? 
Scripture says that we're made in His image. We're made in His image, and His image is beautiful. I would write down, I'm a cheater, I'm a workaholic, I'm a sex addict. But what does Scripture say? Scripture says that we are cleansed from all of our unrighteousness and all of our sin. So if I'm cleansed from all my sin, then I'm not a cheater. I'm not a workaholic. I'm not a sex addict. I write down that I'm a failure. Does Scripture say I'm a failure? Heck no. Scripture says that His grace is sufficient for me. It says that, yeah, I'll make mistakes, but that's why God sent His Son, was so that every single one of my mistakes would be covered by His blood. God doesn't see my failures. He sees Jesus' absolute perfection in me. One other label I was wearing was a mistake. Does Scripture say that I'm a mistake? Nope. Scripture says that He has a perfect plan and a perfect purpose for me. So if He has a purpose and a plan, then I'm not a mistake. He made me for a reason. Um, so I remember there was a time when I had I had worked through so many of these. And oftentimes when we're working through these labels, um, it really comes down to a forgiveness issue. Um, whether you need to forgive yourself, whether you need to forgive someone else, or whether you need to forgive a situation. Um, so forgiveness has become such a passion of mine. It's like, it drives my husband crazy because he'll be, you know, struggling with something. I'm like, you just need to forgive. Like, <laughs> I know your answer. You need to forgive. Like, can't you see? Like, you're operating out of unforgiveness and um, drives him crazy. He's like, you, I, I know. I know you're the expert. All right. You know, but, and I'm not, I'm not an expert, but I've just worked through a lot of forgiveness. But, um, you know, so oftentimes these, these labels, we have to, we have to work through forgiveness. Um, so, for example, with, um, with the label of I'm a cheater. Like, yeah, I can look in Scripture, and I know it doesn't say that I'm a cheater, um, but I still have to work through forgiving. I have to forgive myself with this one. I had to forgive myself for my part in what I did and, and how I acted um, and the fact that I cheated. Um, you know, uh, let's see, the um, I'm a failure. That was one that I believed but my boyfriend had also spoken over me. He also told me that I was a failure. So I had to work through forgiving him um, for calling me that. I had to work through forgiving him for the abuse that he had heaped on me. Um, I had to work through so much forgiveness. Um, and so I'll, I'll, walk, I'll walk through real quick how I forgive. I promise it'll be quick. But um, I... Uh, was just telling my pastor about this a couple weeks ago, and he was like, you need to, you need to name it something. <laughs> you got to name it something. So he called it um, Kelsey's Formula to Forgiveness. <laughs> mm. um, so this isn't, isn't the only way to forgive, but this is how I have found um, forgiveness to go well. Um, like it's, it's just practical how I forgive. Um, so first of all, it needs to be a conversation between you and Jesus. Uh, forgiveness is about being right with God. Forgiveness is not about the person or the situation that you're forgiving. So the person or situation you're forgiving, that um, that's reconciliation. That's for the sake of relationship. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about forgiveness, um, being right before God. He calls us to forgive. He calls us to um, let go of that. Like, that's what He calls us to. He doesn't always call us to reconcile. Like in my previous relationships, it wouldn't have been healthy for me to go reconcile with the hockey player boyfriend. Like it wouldn't have been healthy for me to go reconcile with um, the woman who called me a cunt. Like that would not have Mm. been a healthy situation. 
But that doesn't mean that God doesn't call us to forgive. In fact, it's opposite. He does. He does call us to forgive, like everything, um, for the sake of being right with Him. So first of all, it's a conversation between you and God. It's it's sitting down. Um, this whole thing is a prayer. The whole thing is a conversation um, with our Lord and with our Savior. Um, so I just start by, first of all, asking for, for strength. Um, I ask for help. I ask that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct this conversation, that the Holy Spirit would um, help me to see things that I need to forgive. Um, oftentimes we can kind of turn a blind eye to, to some of the things that we need to forgive. Um, and then I move into a posture of confession. Um, so I confess for whatever situation I'm forgiving or working on or, um, or person I'm forgiving, um, I, I confess my part in that. Um, so that can be kind of tricky because, you know, like, especially with abuse, um, you know, I was working on forgiving him and forgiving the abuse, but I had to come face to face with my part in it. Yes. Like, that's good. you know, and, and that's tough, like that's convicting, but it's like, man, what did I do? Not that abuse is ever our fault. I don't want to, I don't want to portray that, but, um, but I know that I had a part in that. Um, I know that I came into this relationship broken and empty, and I was seeking things from him that he never that I never should have been seeking from him. Um, so that right there is something that I had to confess. It's like I know that I was wrong in this. Um, so start with confession. Um, that also really softens our hearts towards the people or situation that we're forgiving. Um, very rarely are you going to feel like forgiving, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever woken up and been like, man. I just want to forgive today. Mm-hmm. Like, that just sounds fun. Right? <laughs> yeah. like, and, and women tell me this all the time. They're like, I know I need to forgive, but I just don't feel like it. And I'm like, you never will. Like, that's, I mean, never say never. I'm sure at some point you will. But, you know, it's like very rarely am I like, you know, I, just, I want to. And that just feels good. Um, but that's where we have to choose faith. We have to choose to forgive because that's what God has called us to do. Um, so, I, I have this thing that I said um, in this last time I, I taught on forgiveness. I was like, you got to face it till you make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, and I've, I've heard that before, but it's like, that's really what it is. It's like, you have to place your faith in the fact that this is what God has called you to do because your feelings eventually will catch up. But typically when you're forgiving, your feelings are not there. Like they're not wanting to forgive. Um, so put your faith in that until those feelings catch up. Um, so confess, um, let your heart be softened to the situation, to the person, all of that. And then, um, move into the forgiveness part. So what I do, I'm a really visual person. So I actually will play like a video in my head of the situation that I'm forgiving. Or if I'm forgiving a person, I will actually picture their face. I will close my eyes and I will try to tune everything out and just focus in on this person um, or, you know, this, this situation. So I'll replay the video and every point in this video that I'm watching of my life that I feel like I need to forgive, it's like, okay, right there. All right, I'm going to forgive this. And so I just say in my own words, um, like, Jesus, I'm choosing to forgive this situation. I'm choosing to forgive this detail. The details are so important. Oftentimes we can kind of glaze over forgiveness and be like, oh, I forgive him, you know, and and kind of move on. Um, But I guarantee you it'll come back up again. I guarantee you that, um, you know, a a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years from now, the situation will come back up and you'll be like, man, I'm still struggling with this. Chances are because you didn't 
truly get down to the nitty-gritty, to the details. Um, so I picture details. I forgive specific details of situations. Um, you know, man, Lord, I'm choosing to forgive that night that he came home and shot those hockey pucks at my head. Mm. I'm choosing to forgive the fact that I had to patch those stinking holes in the wall because of what he did. I choose to forgive that he then ruined not only my night, but my entire week. And I choose to forgive the fact that then my performance at work was just awful that week. And I ended up getting written up. It's like, you have to go through those details and um, expose all of those details and really just lay it all out there. And as I'm doing this, I picture these hooks that are in the back, in, in my back, um, you know, so with this boyfriend, you know, it's like I've been lugging him through life. He's been hooked onto my back. He's, he's because of this unforgiveness, I'm carrying him around. And so I picture, like I said, I'm super visual. So I picture taking that hook out of my back and hooking him to God. Mm. Like that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is stepping aside. It's saying, okay, I no longer am God over this person because that's what unforgiveness is. When we're sitting in an unforgiveness, we're saying that this person reports to me. This person needs to report to me. Like I'm in charge of this situation because you're not choosing to let go of it and release it and forgive. Um, so forgiving is stepping aside and saying, okay, God, I'm stepping aside. I'm going to put myself out of this role of God and put you back in role of God. And I'm choosing to hook this person, hook this detail, hook this situation to you, mm-hmm. and I'm letting go. Um, so work through all of that. Work through every last little detail that you possibly can. And then you're empty, right? So yeah. once you go through all of this, and, and I typically cry through the entire thing, um, but, like, once you've released all of this, like, yeah, you feel light, you feel wonderful, but you feel empty, because you've been carrying all of this around. This is when all these labels, all these stickers of who I am um, have been all ripped off, and now I've got nothing. Mm. So this part to me is so crucial, and this is where when I'm talking to women who are like, yeah, I feel like I've forgiven this situation, and but like I still keep getting triggered by it, or I still keep get angry about this or whatever. It's like, okay, first of all, have you, have you forgiven the details? Mm. And if so, then I think this step is what we're missing. You're sitting here empty. And what can happen when we're sitting empty is the enemy can start to say, oh, you really haven't forgiven this person. Oh, you think you've done this, but you really haven't. Um, so what I encourage women to do is um, ask God to refill. Ask him to refill this void. Um, and he will, he absolutely will nine times, at least nine times out of 10 for me, he refills this void with a piece of my identity of who I actually am, who he has actually made me to be. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I was working through this with, um, the woman that called me a cunt and I had to rip that label off and figure out like who I really am. Um, there's one day I just, I, when I was living at the ranch, I just went out for a walk and I went into the woods and I said, okay, Lord, once and for all, I just want to deal with this. I want to forgive. I want to move on. Like this is enough. So I worked through all the forgiveness of forgiving her, all the details, all that. I ripped this label off and I said, okay, now what? Like now what Lord? Like I have been living out of this identity for so long. I don't know how to live out of any other identity. And this was the second time in my life that I ever felt like he spoke to me. And he said, you are my beloved. Mm. 
And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, was that you, God? Or was that me? Like, first of all, I don't think I had ever said beloved before <laughs> in my life. So, like, that was a pretty good indicator that that probably wasn't me. Like, um, and so I was like, okay, like, was that you? And so I finished up my walk, headed back to my room, and just started to dive into scripture to figure out, like, what does this mean? You are my beloved. Like, obviously, you know, beloved, like, okay, yeah, that can mean loved, I guess. Like, love is in the word beloved. Um, but as I was digging in, I came to realize that um, uh, beloved is is a lot bigger than just loved. It's dearly loved. It is possessive. Like, he's speaking over me that you are mine. I care so much about you. Um, and so then there's a part in, let me see if I have it written down somewhere. I think it's Matthew. Oh, shoot. I can't remember the, um, the chapter. Um, but it's in Matthew where um, God actually says that Jesus is his beloved. Mm-hmm. So God the Father, when he sent his son, he said, you are my beloved. The same name that God called his son, he called me. Mm-hmm. Like, that was huge for me. Like, he doesn't just think I'm cool. Like, he doesn't just think I'm nice. He doesn't just think that I'm a sweet girl. Like, no, I'm his daughter who he sees the same as Jesus. Mm. Like, that was so huge for me of, like, I'm not this little nothing. Like, I am his beloved. Um, So I actually, um, at that point, designed a tattoo, and um, I was broken in a joke at that point, living in ministry full-time, but um, I was like, one day I'm going to get this tattooed, and so I, I did. Sure enough, um, a couple years after I moved off the ranch and started to make money and um, whatnot, I was like, hey, I'm going to get this tattoo again, and so I literally I have it tattooed on my forearm, mm-hmm. and I see it so many times a day because it's such a constant reminder of this is who you are. You are not those past labels. You are my beloved. I have chosen you, and you are mine. Um, so, yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's in a nutshell, my long um, testimony of, of just kind of my story. And, like, um, yeah, so now I try every day to live out of this identity of being his beloved. Mm. Um, late, lately, that's meant really close intimacy with him mm-hmm. and knowing him and knowing um, what God likes, what he delights in. And um, yeah, just getting to know him as, as my dad, as my father. Um, so, yeah. I love that. Um, Kelsey, I feel like we're supposed to unpack the concept of sexual sh- sexual sin and shame. I feel like we're supposed to talk mm. about this a little bit. So something that was kind of um, pressing in my heart is just heard a sermon not that long ago that talked about, you know, there sex is obviously a powerful thing when it's in the right mm-hmm. place and the right season. And there's a bonding that happens when that happens. So I was thinking mm-hmm. about, as you were talking about previous relationships, also probably another reason why it was so hard to leave is you were bonded, right? Like God created yes. sex to be able to yes. bond with someone. And so um, I'm thinking of the person who's listening, who has a past or even a present, like you had kind of walked through. And yeah. the last thing I want them to hear is shame, which is 
always also what we were just talking about without the labels and those kinds of things. But um, we spoke to the friend that maybe has a friend who's in an abusive relationship and they need to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, But what could we say to the gal who either maybe is in an abusive relationship themselves or Mm -hmm. they're just kind of living this lifestyle and they're feeling lonely and broken and they don't know how to get out of it? What would you say to them? Yeah. Um, so I feel like there's kind of two, two parts of that. So first of all, the, the sexual sin part of it, um, you're absolutely right. Like there is such a bonding that happens, like literally two flesh become one. Mm-hmm. Like that is literally how God made sex to be. And of course he made that to be within marriage. Um, what happens outside of marriage is still the same. Mm-hmm. Like yep. two flesh still become one, you know, yep. you become bonded with this person. So then what happens is when that relationship is no more, then it's literally a ripping apart of flesh. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and, and for me, it was after that initial, you know, relationship with the hockey player boyfriend, like that was obviously a big part of, um, you know, my sexual past, but then, um, you know, getting intimate with all of these other guys, Mm -hmm. every single time it was a little piece of my soul, a Mm -hmm. little piece of who I was, because you do, you bond and you separate and you bond and you separate. And, um, you know, just like a sticker, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can only stick it to something so many times before there's no stick left because a little bit of that stick stays. (laughs) Like that's part of how that works. Like, um, and so for me, by the time I got to, um, got to the ranch and got to kind of the end of, of my sexual addiction with all these different men. Um, it was like, I had nothing left. Like, not only did I not know who I was, but now I had given away so much of myself to all of these other men that I had nothing. Mm. Um, and what do I, what I want to encourage ladies is, um, God is so big. Um, first of all, he, sees everything, which I know we hear that all the time, but it's like, he sees everything. He knew what I was going through. He still chose to love me. So be real with him. Like I honestly prayed when I was living at the ranch, I was like, man, Lord, I want you to make me brand new. Like all of me. I want to be able to forget all of my sexual past so that I feel like a virgin on my wedding night. Mm, Like, honestly, I would pray that like just, as real and raw as I could. I'm like, Lord, take away all of these past memories, take away all this past shame. Um, my hockey player boyfriend had actually used pornography over me. Um, he, uh, told me that this is how I was supposed to have sex. Like this is how I was supposed to, um, perform, I guess. Like, and so that was how I learned how to have sex. And that is such an opposite way of how God has sex in marriage. Um, and so I truly prayed. I was like, Lord, get rid of that. Like make it so that I have never seen pornography before in my life. Make it so that I have never slept with all of these guys before in my life. Like make me brand new. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, I was 100% brand new on my wedding night. That's awesome. (laughs) Like, Honestly, praise God, I was a nervous wreck. I was like, I've never done this before. I don't know what to do. Like, because he is so good. He's so redemptive. Like, so if that's, if you've been through that, like, don't feel like you have no hope because you do, because God is a redeemer and he will redeem all of that and make it brand new. 
Um, so that's kind of one part, portion of it. The other portion is, is that woman who is either in an abusive relationship or you've just left one or whatever it may be. Like, first of all, I want to tell you that you are amazing. Mm -hmm. You are amazing. Even if you are still suffering through abuse every single day, you are amazing. Absolutely incredible. And I know there will come a time when you have enough strength to be able to leave. But until then, you're still amazing. You're still incredible. And if I knew you, I would sit there right there with you. Um, But find someone who will. Find someone who you can entrust these deepest, darkest secrets too. Like share with someone that you know what you're going through. Um, That really takes abuse. Abuse can kind of, um, it can be really hidden oftentimes and it can be, it's very dark. And um, that's where our abusers want it to stay. They want it to stay in the dark. Um, So take it into the light, like bring it out into the light. Find one girlfriend that you trust and that you love and hopefully believes in Jesus and tell her exactly what's going on. Bring it into the light because there's so much power that is lost when that's brought into the light. Mm -hmm. But if you're not feeling strong enough for that, that's okay. That's okay. I've been there. I sat and hid it for a very long time. My own parents didn't know the abuse that I went through for a very, very long time. I kept it so hidden and so secret, and it's okay. One day you'll be able to share. One day you'll be able to be set free from that. Um, But for right now, I just want you to know you're amazing, you're incredible, and you are stronger than you realize. The fact that you're putting up with all of this awful abuse and shame and whatever else may be heaped onto you, the fact that you are even just putting up with that shows me just how strong you are. So you are amazing and you are incredible. I love that. Kelsey, uh, gosh, I know that you're getting to put your hands in speaking and you guys have, you mm-hmm. and Chad have a ministry. What, tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about what's going on present day and where uh, listeners can connect with you on social or website. Yeah, for sure. Um, yes, we do have a ministry. When we moved here to Texas, um, one of the things that we really felt God was um, showing us to do was to start up this ministry. Um, and my husband was involved with it actually at the ranch that I um, talked about a redemptive God, but um, my husband was really involved with um, the fatherless young men's side of um, the single mom's ranch that I lived at for a while, um, and he really helped to start up this ministry that they called Advance Camp. Um, and so when we moved to Texas, we really felt that God was saying, okay, start that up here. Um, so it's been a huge thing for our family and for um, our community now, um, but we mentor fatherless young men. Um, we teach them practical skills that dad could have, should have, would have taught them if he was involved in their lives. Um, so they take the guys. My husband has a team of a bunch of mentors, and, oh, man, I can't even remember how many we're up to now. I want to say, like, 15 mentors. I could be totally off. But um, we have a lot of guys, um, just amazing, strong men that love Jesus, that love on these young men. Um, we take kids that are about uh, 12 through 18, um, all boys, and they really, these mentors really start to become a father figure in these guys' lives. They teach them how to take care of the lawn. They teach them how to change the oil in your car. Um, they did a ranch day back in June where they actually castrated cows and learned about that. Um, they have taught them how to cook. They teach them um, all these practical skills 
Um, and that's really been our main focus as a family. Um, this last year has been getting that up and running, and God is just blessing us and blessing these young men in incredible ways through this. Um, so that's been a huge part of our lives. Yeah, like you said, I've been starting to get to teach and to share um, my story with others. That's been a huge passion of mine. Um, about a year ago when we first moved here, I, I just would sit every single day and be like, man, Lord, like, I want to be able to share. I want to be able to teach. I want to sit with these young women or sit with these women, um, you know, that have gone through similar things or are going through that. And um, but I don't know how to make that happen. I don't know anything about how to make that happen. And so I just kept surrendering it to him. And literally in the last um, probably six, mm, actually less than that, probably about four months, he has just opened door after door mm. after door for me to get to share. And it has just been incredible. It's literally nothing I have done. It is 100% been him and just, you know, absolutely blessing me with that. Um, I am on social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Um, just my first and last name, Kelsey Wallen. Um, I'm not on there right now. I have been on a social media fast uh, for the month of October, and it has been incredible. Um, but I'll be out there eventually again. But um, in the meantime, feel free to stock my page. Um, I have a lot to, that I just share on there. Um, I do also have a blog. I haven't blogged in a while because um, life's been a little crazy lately. But um, my blog is just KelseyWallen.com. Um, and I am also uh, working on getting a book together about um, God's promises in my life and just sharing more about my experience and what God's shown me um, throughout my, my life. Gosh, I love it. Thank you so much, Kelsey, for taking time out of your day to just pour into us, pour some wisdom and teach us how to forgive in all of the ways. I, I appreciate it so much. And I know that your story is going to make an incredible impact on everyone that's listening. So thanks, girl. Absolutely. Didn't you resonate with everything that Kelsey was saying in regards to identity? I know that I did. Hey friends, if you are enjoying this podcast, then the best way to let us know that is by taking a moment to give us a review. By giving us a review, it allows us to keep bringing you more content each week. Also, if you love this week's podcast, take a screenshot of it and post it on Instagram and tag us, bringing her hope. We always love to know who's listening. Well, we can't wait to share another story of God's redemption next time. But until then, lovelies, keep living brave stories for Jesus.